0: Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. In this episode, Dorsey interviews another special guest that will give you hope and inspire you.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining me on another episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. Today, we have uh, Sylvia Walsham, who received her second chance Cut life on Easter Sunday morning In 2012, she used this major turning point to trade off her multiple award-winning career at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals to become the author, multilingual speaker, and turning point coach she is today. Sylvia lives her, her passing by helping men and women who find themselves at a crossroads Navigate things with confidence, faith, and joy. Her mission is to help professional parents become the best version of themselves, trust and act on their inner wisdom, and integrate their personal and professional life with joy. She does this through her joy in her learning masterminds, keynote addresses, one-on-one coaching, and conditioning programs. She resides in Austin, Texas, with her amazing husband and two children. Sylvia, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: I'm so excited to be here. I was so excited when you messaged me and said you wanted me to be your guest. So yeah, absolutely. I'm ready. It <laughs> I'm
1: sounds ready. like you know. It sounds like you have an amazing story, and we'll you know just go easy on you in the first couple of questions, and then we'll get into your into your story. Of course. Tell us, what is your favorite thing to do?
0: My favorite thing to do yeah. is to play pickleball with my husband. Okay. And pickleball is a racket sport. I used to be a tennis player, so I, it's very easy transition for me. And I. I mean, it just brings me so much joy to do that, but, and that's on the personal side of things, on the professional side of things. I really, I love working one-on-one with people, working in masterminds, because I love it when I see people grow, grow to be the best version of themselves and, and help them tap into their intuition, you know, that inner voice, that what they call gut instinct. I call it God instinct because I'm a woman of faith and, um, and that really brings me immense, immense joy. So those three things.
1: <laughs> yeah. What is your
0: superpower? My superpower really is my faith. I've I've heard that from friends. They kind of love the relationship I have with God. I talk to him every day. He's my first appointment of the day. And I get up at 5 a.m. to go work out. But uh, as I open my eyes, the very first thought is of gratitude uh, to him. And... So faith has always been a, a very a, – the reason why I'm so magnetic as a speaker to a great deal of people. So
1: I think the next um, question that I ask will be very easy for my listeners to answer even before you do because of what you have said even in the last minute and a half that we've talked. But who do you serve?
0: I serve God. He, I serve Him first. I love Him, and I fulfill m- His master plan for my life on a daily basis. And, and I've done so since I've surrendered to Him in 2012. Um, it's become that much easier to submit to His ways by surrendering first.
1: Did you grow up in a Christian home?
0: I grew up in a Catholic home. So, yes, in answer to your question, you know Catholics are Christians, um, right, foundationally, but, uh, I really didn't have a relationship with God when I was a little kid i My grandmothers taught me how to pray and about the rosary, but even as I was getting married to my first husband and I was kneeling down in front of the Virgin Mary, i didn 't know what to pray for. <laughs> I hadn't really been taught to read the Bible. I didn't even know where to start. And I actually didn't start reading the Bible until I wrote Journey to Me because it was a prompting from God to say, you need to include scripture in your book. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that (laughs) because I don't know scripture. How am I supposed to include this in chapters if I don't know it? And it was his way of saying, well, you need to get to know it because this is your path and this is what I need you to do. So that's, I I did, and answered your question. Yes, I grew up um, having a relationship, believing in him, but there's a huge difference between believing in him and trusting him and and handing over the reins of your life to him. Very few people do that, right? I mean, I think you and I can certainly attest to that.
1: What does that look like to you? Because even for myself, you know, like a pastor and, you know, everything, there are times in my life when. I have a hard time, you know, trusting him. And, you know, when we play, we're supposed to, you know, we've heard the the saying, you know, cliche of we need to leave our prayers at the foot of the cross and, you know, not take them up anymore or our worries and our fears and leave them at the foot of the cross. Uh And yet, you know, there are times in my own life where I, do that and then the next day I'm worrying about the same day same thing I worry about the, the day before.
0: It is. It's it's a it's a continuous thing. You know, it's a consistency effort on our part to to talk to him first, to really start having those conversations with him and consistency. Just checking in with him five minutes a day is is a good way to start. And just quieting your mind, just shutting off all social media, all electronics, uh, all distractions, and just sitting quietly and tapping inward. And to me, that really helped me. Uh, during the pandemic, I I sat down and that's how I started the, the meditation. Because at first, I didn't even know what I was doing. But I had felt the prompting to meditate, to quiet my mind so that I could... Um, tap inward and actually start addressing my anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of OCD I was suffering from, and I didn't want to take medication. So I started to meditate and I started five minutes a day. And the more I did it, the more I quieted my mind, the more I heard him and I heard his promptings. I always had prior to 2020, but it just got a lot more intentional, if you will, in 2020.
1: Yeah. In your bio that we read a little earlier ago, it says that you received a second chance of life on Easter Sunday morning in 2012. Tell us a little bit more about that and what exactly happened and what you had to go through from that.
0: Sure. I mean, I I grew up, as you know, in a Catholic home. And so I was a perfectionist achiever because my father is a retired medical doctor and so I had that modeling from home. He's an immigrant from Mexico so I'm full-blooded Mexican and right? both parents are Mexican and I had that modeling so he was a hard worker and I saw that every day so I was achieving to be happy in the first couple of 20 years of my life and then <clears throat> uh, my first husband asked for a divorce and I found myself as a single mom to a little boy. He was four years old when we divorced. And about three years later, I met who would become my second husband. And we started dating. And during Easter weekend, he says, hey, I want to invite you and your son to Louisiana for Easter weekend. And, you know, being a single mom, I was really excited because Kai doesn't normally do that. <laughs> hey, come and meet my family if he's not like intending to ask you to marry him. Right. So, right. And so I'm excited. But a couple of days before I leave, I start having pain that uh, was kind of strange. It was right, right in my rib cage, and it kind of felt like air was stuck, and it would come and go in intensity. And so I called my brother, who's a doctor, and in all fairness to him, he didn't see me clinically, because I think if he had seen me clinically, he would have not allowed me to get on a flight. But he didn't. He was rounding at the hospital, and and so I kind of told him, "Hey, I have this pain, and it's you know it feels like this," and and he said, "You know what? I think because you're 37 years old and you exercise. I was exercising like seven days a week. Um, I think it's pleurisy, and pleurisy is the inflammation of the lining of the lung, and it mimics pulmonary embolism like to a T. And so I get on a flight. My mom was like, don't get on the flight. You don't look good, you know, but I'm in love and I want to be with my boyfriend. And so I say, no, I, I want to go. And so I get on a flight with my little boy and we touch down and I can't even like reach down for my luggage. And so, uh, luckily we spent the night at a hotel and my boyfriend was like several doors down and at 3am, uh, a very painful uh, episode happened. I jolted out of bed. I could not breathe. And it felt like an elephant was stepping on my chest. And my brother had warned me it was going to be very painful. And, and so I just I just kind of like s- sat up. And, and in that darkness, I heard a very urgent prompting say, lean forward and you'll be able to breathe. And so I do. I lean forward for four hours. And I don't call a soul. Not one person was called. And I at the moment that that's happening two blood clots are going through my heart to get to my left lung and they don't stop my heart so that's miracle one um so the next day you know i call my brother and i'm thinking this doesn't feel like what you described over the phone so i think i should go to the hospital and he goes did you take a flight yesterday and i was like yeah and he goes go to the er now <laughs> like get a scan don't leave to louisiana until you get a scan of your lungs and so I walk in, the miracle that I didn't die that night, you know, I walk in, they do the scan and this uh, this pulmonologist, a specialist, the uh, lung specialist walks in and tells me a woman in your condition should not be sitting up talking to me. I mean, you've got several pulmonary embolisms and your liver's inflamed and we don't know why. So you're not leaving the hospital. So, mind you, my boyfriend's outside with my son, <laughs> who he's only met twice. So that's, you know, that's a little you know, tough, to handle, but you know, you're a mom. And so you just, you go on, you, you, you know, you're a warrior. And so you get up, no matter how pain you're in, I'm like, I got to get an outside line and get someone to pick up this boy, you know, because I'm not leaving this hospital. And I'm in Houston, Texas at the medical center, which is such a miracle too, because I was in South Texas and they don't really have the equipment and they don't really have all the, uh, all the options available that I had in Houston. So I get admitted and I'm thinking, well, you know, this is pretty bad. Well, I was wrong (laughs) because the next day they do a second scan of the liver and I get six doctors in my room and it's that page that you've read in my bio. And, you know, I was in sales for a long time, Dorsey, and I could read a room rather quickly and all of the doctors were looking at the floor and I thought, yeah, that's not good. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and so then the specialist says we have a real problem sylvia and and he says well you have what's known as bud Carey syndrome and it's basically a blood clot that clots your vena cava and the vena cava is the main vein that blocks the blood to your main organs so it's putting pressure on your liver and, and you might go into liver failure and require a transplant and he goes Do you see the three doctors on your right and i kind of turned to the right <laughs> And there's three doctors and they're waving at me. Well, they're the transplant team and they're now on your case. And I'm just going, oh, wow. okay, well, that's, that's interesting news. And then he said, well, we really don't have a therapy for someone like you. So we're going to go, you know, off the cuff here and give you this medication that's like this clot buster, you know, and when we infuse it, there's there's several things that could go wrong. And then they start going through the whole list of what could go wrong. And when they get to hemorrh- hemorrhagic stroke and death, my mind just goes totally blank. And there was an old commercial when, I was, uh, it, when we would go to summers in Mexico City of a guy kind of dropping into a swimming pool. Well, I kind of envision the same thing, except I'm not dropping myself into a swimming pool. I'm dropping myself into Jesus's arms. Because at this point, I'm surrendering. Uh, I, the, the human experts are telling my parents she is facing 20% chance of surviving. And so very, it's impossible for her to survive the night. They were very, they just weren't confident. Let's put it that way. And so in that moment, I surrendered and I accepted God's will. And And they take me the very next day. I'm already in ICU. The next morning, a woman with a Catholic diocese kind of walks into the room with my boyfriend, right? My mom had spent the night with me. And she said, can I pray with you? And I thought to myself, you know, yes, because I don't know with that therapy if it did its job or not. Because if it didn't, then I was really in trouble. Because then they were going to have to go really radical approach. And I likely would have died on the table. And they had already explained that to me. So I'm kind of trying to avoid that situation. And so we start praying, the our father, right? Because she's with the Catholic diocese. And when the part comes to thy will be done, I this love, Dorsey, enveloped the entire room. In fact, as I speak right now, I feel the Holy Spirit in the meeting. And he cradled me in his arms. I mean, I have never felt such a love like that before. I felt protected and safe and at peace, even though a moment ago I was terrified at a a difficult outcome. And I remember knowing I was okay. He gave me that gift. And to me, that was the second miracle I received. And when she left the room, my boyfriend Donnie turns to me and says, you felt him too, didn't you? And I just couldn't even speak. I was so overcome with emotion and, but my face was so serene and so peaceful. People that saw me later recalled, they saw how stressed I was one moment. And after his visit, I was so peaceful. And so my, my face lit up and they wheeled me into radiology to do, to see what the therapy had done. And I already knew what the outcome was because he already told me, you're going to be fine. I, I've cured you. And the doctor comes back and his face is just joyful and he's incredulous. Like, I cannot believe this. There is no threat whatsoever. And not only that, you don't have long term complications from this thing because the size of the clots would have left scarring in my lungs and I would have had long term complications for the rest of my life. And there was no evidence of anything left. And they were just. Shocked. So to me, those were three miracles that I received. And from that point, it just completely awakened me to a brand new life.
1: Well, that's awesome. and, we, and people don't think that God does, you know, still does miracles.
0: <laughs> I just have to laugh. Because, you know, I was such a, I was a person that controlled my circumstances prior to this event. I was a perfectionist, I was an achiever. I was afraid and you know when you face death and I know you've been in situations like these before so you understand where I'm coming from and you surrender and you accept those are big steps. It's going to change you and you're gonna you're gonna be able to view life very differently. And now it's it starts me on a different quest why why did I survive? like what is my true divine soul's purpose? Is this it? Like, I just don't feel like sales is it for me. I people die with one pulmonary embolism. I had like over five, and then I had that horrible one that was truly threatening my life. Why? Why did I survive? And so I start taking courses and and quieting my mind. And in prompt, like in journaling, one morning he comes to me and he says, "You need to join the John Maxwell team." I mean, it was like, you got to join it. You got to call Bridget. And I had taken a mastermind with Bridget years ago and they had asked me to be part of the team, but I was too afraid to make that step, to take that step. And, but I did, I called her and, and I listened to his prompting and I acted on it because I had seen by acting on lean forward, you'll be able to breathe. From that moment on, I acted immediately on his promptings. I don't question it anymore. If I hear a voice, it's like, it's, and it's persistent. It's a persistent thought over and over and over again. And I act on it. And I one moment I feel terror, and another moment I feel peace. I know I'm in alignment with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if Amen. it's the same for you. Is that the same thing for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 it definitely
1: similar. You know, and, and you definitely have to listen to, you know, when you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you have to, or any voice, you have to aligning with, you know, Scripture, especially when it when it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, it has to line up with Scripture and what, what God wants for your life, you know. And I think sometimes we need to be careful with how many voices are, you know, speaking into our lives and who oh, yeah. are we really listening to? Are we listening to the voices around us, or are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know, first thing and foremost?
0: Yeah, because most people—and, you know, our pastor has discussed this before, too, where he says, you know, if you're you're hearing how uh, anything to do with fear, that's not the Holy Spirit, you know, anything to do with what you want as opposed to what He wants. And see, most people think, well, God— wants me to be happy. So, you know, I should continue doing these negative things in my life. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. (laughs) It's usually quite the opposite. (laughs) But, and I have several examples I shared in the book of when it's, it was different from what I was wanting or desiring at the time and what the difference was between the two, because I think it helps people understand when is it that it's the Holy Spirit the gut or God instinct, or when it's it's my own conscious or subconscious mind feeding me my programming, you know, the programming I've given it. So the Journey to Me book explores both options of when it's your mind and your fear talking to you and when it's God talking to you.
1: Can you give us a little bit more in depth about the book and, you know, who was the book for and, you know, what what was the most – What a bigger reason you wrote the book.
0: Well, I'll start with the last question. I wrote the book because God told me it wasn't my story to keep. I had to share the story to help change others and help others navigate to joy faster. Instead of taking the detours I took, (laughs) because I was a stubborn child of God, Doris. You know, I was one of his most stubborn children that just wanted to think my way through life. And thought I was doing it the right way, you know, my way. And until I nearly died, did I understand what loving him first looked like and felt like. And once I surrendered and accepted him, then it became easier to surrender to his ways to submit to His ways, which I think some women, in all honesty, struggle with the word submission. (laughs) I know I did forever. I took it out of both of my vows. It just was not a word I included. But I didn't understand the meaning of it until I started having problems in my second marriage. Now, who the book is for? The book is is gives you a blueprint on how to navigate from a turning point towards your soul identity. I kind of give you uh, the process, like the transformation of five cycles of transformation through the book. And I use each chapter um, teaches a lesson, and that's how scripture came into play because at the end I have uh, questions for journaling, questions for meditation and prayer, scripture you know, based on the lesson I was teaching. So like, say, in the first chapter, I talked about the lesson uh, of responsibility, of learning responsibility as a child. Um, So the book is set up to understand the subconscious and the conscious mind and how it works and how these self-sabotaging patterns of behavior actually hurt you throughout your life. Um, And until you really turn to God and allow Him to guide you, you're going to be taking a longer detour to joy basically you know the more you turn to him the more you uh quiet your mind uh the more the more you seek joy in your everyday life the more fulfilled you'll feel um so really the book is is for anyone undergoing turning points and wanting to understand how to navigate a turning point with more joy and more confidence and faith for those people that are in the throes of spiritual transformation, that's really who it's for. And usually the people that work with me are entrepreneurs because these are people that are in their second act of life. <laughs> and, you know, because I started off first act with sales. So I was, I, whatever was modeled to me as in childhood is where I ended up, Right working in, which was my first act. It was okay, but I wasn't fulfilled and I was joyful and I wasn't happy because I was looking for happiness outside of myself. And it wasn't until I nearly die, which is the big pinnacle, the big turning point, and then you see a shift. So in answer to your question, it's for anyone undergoing turning points, anyone in the throes of spiritual transformation. um, There's several chapters on Parenting um, children with anxiety because I'm a, a person that suffers from anxiety, and unfortunately, I modeled that to my little boy. Um, and so now I'm—he's a teenager, so we're we're having to to manage that. And um, and I—it it was such a joy for me to share. There were a couple of chapters I didn't want to write about, but God kept pressing, and now I understand why. <laughs> because i was able to heal those chapters in my life i had not healed and in writing i was able to see how you know my victim pattern of behavior showed up in my relationships in my marriage for example and and i just stopped being a victim in my own life um as soon as i saw everything on paper you know so it was a beautiful journey honestly to write it uh I, what i've heard from people say is uh they love the stories because I have funny stories and I have, you know, dramatic stories like the one I just shared with y'all. Uh, I take you to France in chapter four, and that's where I introduce the blueprint <laughs> initially. And then at the end of the chapter, I show you like a full, yeah. You know, I, I take you from my childhood all the way till 2020 when the book is written. You know, just the main events and and how I've navigated. And I I discuss a lot the two identities that show up for us, the ego identity, and that's the fear-based side of us if we're operating from fear, and the soul identity. It's the person that we were created to be. That's the one that God created you to be, and it's there. It's always been there. It's just when we're afraid to step into it, we we take, like I said, a longer detour to it.
1: What was the hardest lesson you've
0: learned in your journey? <laughs> this, I love this question because this is patience in it's timing. <laughs> that was just the toughest one. And it's been the toughest part of my journey, patience in it's timing. Because I don't know about anybody listening, but I always want it on my timing. <laughs> Like now, <laughs> I just, patience and I don't really go hand in hand. I'm a, a, what I called a driver for a long time. I'm very action oriented and, uh, and I want the results now. And God has always had an interesting way of showing me patience in his timing. And in those years, what I learned the most is he used that time to chisel off what was not in alignment with the person he created me to be. I didn't see that until I wrote the book. Those were those chapters I was talking about. (laughs) So that was the toughest lesson in my journey was patience and his timing. And now I kind of look back at those years and I say, okay, now it's time to redo those chapters, but now do it from the perspective of joy and not of fear. And I'm having the time of my life. (laughs) As I'm like sitting with you guys and just enjoying this podcast interview and being a mom and playing pickleball with my husband and just not sweating the small stuff anymore.
1: Yeah, I can definitely relate, you know, with what you said with the patience and, you know, the timing, you know, of God and God in our lives, you know, that's definitely not, an, you know, always an thing thing to, to wait on, you know. We want we want things in our time, and not always in the time and that you know that God has for us, and that's sometimes a difficult thing to to walk through in our life.
0: Yes, and and that's that's what's been so joyful about this 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 time is I really I'm so different now than what I the person I once was. In fact, my friends from back when I lived in South Texas and worked for Pfizer, they're like, you're totally different. I'm like, yeah, it takes nearly dying, <laughs> facing death, you know, but why do you have to wait till that happens? You know, I mean, some people don't get a second chance. So my, my advice to all my friends are like, there are pockets of joy in your journey every single day. Moments that are just so small, but if you're so busy, Doing, doing, doing instead of being—you're going to miss them entirely. Yeah. What are your why? My why is honestly God is 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 that second chance. It's I felt a pull and I felt a responsibility to humanity when I received a second chance at life, and I started to really align to what he told me was his master plan and whether i agree with it or not i am always serving humanity first god first humanity second and that is my why and and my family has always been part of that why as well because when i started this journey as a coach i really wanted to be the best version of me i didn't want to pass on toxic modeling to my kiddos I wanted them to have a relationship with God from the get-go. So as little kids, I've taught them how to talk to Him and how to, like at night, and this is part of my Catholic upbringing, so I, um, I'll um, i tell my daughter, you need to make room for your guardian angel, it's like in your bed. And, he's, and she's like, what? And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. He's always with you, or she's always with you. It depends on how you see your guardian angel. And you need to make room for them because they're always here. So just make them comfortable <laughs> at night. And we pray at night and we talk. And I always tell my daughter, I was like, she goes, I don't want to be alone. And I said, but you're never alone. He's always with you. And he, he's always speaking to you. And when you hear beautiful things about yourself and anything loving that's coming from God, when it's negative, honey, when it's, when, when it's telling you to be afraid of life when it's telling you to be afraid of, of anything aside from the obvious things of, you know, your intuition, like when it's true danger facing you, right? Your intuition is good and your fear is good. But so we always go through the top three reasons to be afraid. And then if it's anything beyond that, then it's not God speaking to you because God does not live in fear. He doesn't live in the past and he doesn't live in the future. He lives in the now, in the present moment. So enjoy your life and talk to him when you feel. When I'm not home, and you want to talk to someone, you can always talk to God. And so my kids now will see me. We'll be driving, and all of a sudden I'll start talking out loud, and then my my daughter will ask, "Are you talking to yourself? Are you talking to Jesus now?" Because I'm a little confused. (laughs) I'm talking to Jesus, sitting right here, and I'm just I'm confused about something, Viv, and I just need. Some guidance, and I know he's listening to me. And I know maybe now I won't listen to his answer, but I'm gonna stay open to the messengers he's likely to send me.
1: As we get ready to end this um, episode, what are some things that you would encourage our listeners with if they're going through, you know, difficult times? Would it be health? Would it be you know, their walk with God and their relationship with with Jesus, what would you encourage them with?
0: And it's something I've already discussed in the interview, but make a consistent effort to talk to him daily. It doesn't have to be 15, 20, 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be long. When you form a habit, and this is coming from my coaching background now on is you got to do it consistently every day. And days that you don't do it, don't beat yourself up. Give yourself grace because that's where God lives in grace and love. And do it again. Just stand up and do it again and keep doing it until it becomes your identity to have a relationship with God. That takes about 45 days, just for the record, for those wanting to change their habits around, not just to this. Another thing I would suggest is when you're going through any turning point in life, you want to ensure that, one, you turn to God. Turn inward for your answers. Your answers are not going to exist outside of you. I know most of us have this tendency to think that, oh, the next job is going to give me the happiness I'm looking for, or the next relationship, or this, or that. The truth is, guys, happiness lives within us. Our joy is within us, and that is called the Holy Spirit. He's there and he's always there. And you are not alone. It doesn't matter how big the storm you're facing. He's always there to bring you joy and love and guidance and support. So turn inward for your answers and talk to him daily. And really know that when you navigate major, major change, you really need to have people that surround you, that have your best interests at heart, people that Love you, that support you, and they and that speak light into you. Those are the people you want around you, because Amen. Those are the people that God are go- is going to use to speak to you at times to send you messages of love.
1: Amen. Well, thank you, Sylvia, for coming on the show today and sharing your story and sharing your expertise of what you've gone through in your
0: life. Thank you, Dorsey. It was such a pleasure. And the Holy Spirit was in the meeting, so he's Amen. been here the whole time. So I know that his message was, was delivered today. Amen. Time.
1: Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening again. We greatly appreciate you guys uh, joining us. And please like and share and um, subscribe to this podcast. And until next time. Thank
0: you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of the Dorsey Ross show. Please like share and tell others about the show. Also, please check out the other podcast episodes. And if you would like donate to this podcast and buy Dorsey a coffee. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.